It's a drink. It's about to be a drink. Hello, welcome to JudgeCast. My name is CJ Schrader, and this is episode number 146. I got with me, as always, my two lovely co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. This is Jess. And Brian Prilliman. Hello, interwebs. I even screwed up I can't believe- a little bit on that one, too. Did you? What? How'd you screw up? Uh, did the order a little wrong. It's okay. Only the super fans will notice. <laughs> That's oh. all right. Um, so I can't believe we, we are on episode 146. We were talking about this just before we started. It's and so uh, it, we, we, we've, we've been doing this for a little over, is it really four years? Yeah. Four years at this point? Yeah. Uh, that is we, crazy. Yeah, we had we had a reason to go back and look at an old episode. And uh, and Jess is, Jess is like, Spoiler well, there's alert. Yeah. Well, well, we had we went back and looked, and Jess was like, "This was, you know, what was ninety-eight it? Uh, episodes ago? Ninety-eight episodes ago." <laughs> and it's like, it's like, wow. Yeah. That's that's a lot of episodes. Yeah. I've talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not uh, categorize how much we've written on IRC, and <laughs> like, I wonder if it's more or less than like War and Peace. <laughs> If we just put those that power to good, if only crime and punishment. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're gonna have an email show this episode because we had a ton of emails um, going all the way back to I think November of last year. Jeez. Plus a couple that Brian just refuses to finish off answering. I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, CJ hit me. He's just like, yeah, I cleared out our inbox, except the two Brian started 14 months ago <laughs> and hasn't written a reply yet. And I was yeah. just like, ah, uh, eh, it'll probably be another. Uh, I'll get to it. But, I tell you what, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to get them out tonight, as long as they're not about slow play they're not. or they're loops. not. It's detrimental it's, triggers at competitive and uh, if it's loops, if it loops, if no, it loops, no. I tap. If it was Moriarty, I just archived it. Like I was like, <laughs> you're gonna give him one reply at most, and then I'm archiving it. Um, <laughs> eh, the other one, I'm not gonna read the title of, because. But yeah. All right. All right. Let's talk about emails we've actually answered, which we've we've uh, we've been doing very good on emails uh, lately. And by we, I mean you two, because I have not been responding to them. Um, we've actually been responding very quickly. So I hope I hope people have appreciated that. And very quickly means within a week to me. We're not um, Google customer support. You're not going to get an answer in 24 hours. You guys ready? You guys pumped? You guys ready for emails? Oh, yeah. All right, let's I'm do some excited. emails. Wait, does Google customer show. support actually give answers in 24 oh, hours? Oh, I don't know. I just I was thinking about it like a major company. I don't know. Oh. just probably because I'm looking at a Google Doc right now is why I said that. Fair enough. All right, our first email is from Dan Desang. Uh And his question involves, so obviously all these emails, we've cut out a lot of stuff so that we can squeeze as many into an episode as we can. So his question is around regular REL. And he has, he says, uh, Andy attacks with two Tarmogoyfs. They go unblocked, and both players think the Goyfs are four or five. Nate takes eight and goes to one. At the end of Nate's next turn, they recount Goyf, and the attacking creatures were actually five, six. So Nate should have gone to negative one and lost. Uh, after a few minutes of not finding a concrete fix and not wanting to hold up the tournament, I rule that since the decisions actions made after the incorrect life adjustment wouldn't matter, i.e. the game should have ended, we would just back up to the combat and correctly assign the damage. Uh, he says, how close slash far was I to the mark on this one? What about that competitive? So, a regular yell, yeah, that's fine. There's like, I, I see no issues with that. Um, the... Yeah, they both thought it was four or five. It's not like a communication issue where, uh, you know, someone. Um, it's not. Oh my gosh, help me out here, guys! It's not derived. It is derived. The power and toughness. It yeah, is derived. derived. But if oh. he's, if he's, what's but that? Regular AO derived information is free information. Yeah. So if it's just if it's just uh, you know attacks and take eight or something like that. It was a two goys. Yeah. So it's take eight. And he goes, okay, and they write it down. Yeah, but then it was actually 10. Oh, it was 10. So lost. Yeah, I'm fine with that fix at uh, regular AL, and I think I'm fine with that fix at competitive as well. So we're, we're just at the end of Nate's next turn. Uh, so obviously, it still kind of matters. 
this one starts to tread dangerously close to just fixing just fixing life totals, but I'm okay with it. What do you guys think? Uh, so go ahead. So this 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 one this one is a little a little dicey in the sense that normally since you are at what is it you're the at the end of Nate's next turn so so Andy's Andy has ended his turn Nate has drawn played done some stuff mm-hmm. um you know you start getting into okay with the GRV you you rewind all of the actions and then you proceed forward you know you you correct the error and then you proceed forward from that point in this situation uh, there would be no going forward. So the the what what you're going to have to I guess make a determination is just how much has gone on since the error was actually committed. And if if a lot's gone on, then you're just going to say, okay, well you're at the life total that you're at and keep going. But if it is something that you know it hasn't been that long, you just rewind and. Uh, Nate's dead. Yeah. If if like three turns had passed, I, I'm not rewinding even if he should have been dead. But right it, now, now you you yeah you can make an argument though that when when you rewind and then you go forward, the game's over. So yeah. it really doesn't it doesn't matter what happened. There is that right. that argument, um, and that argument has merit. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, well, if you're ever if you're ever backing up and and that backup just makes the game end, you could tell them you're backing up, but you don't really need to go into all the details about. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to you know put a random card for your hand back on top of your library. And you, you don't need to do that. Right. Yep. So uh, I, I think in, in this particular situation, you can actually justify either decision. Yeah, I agree. So I mean, so it depends on what all happened, but yes, I, I'm okay with that answer. With the inform- the 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 backup don't backup question is always going to be um, uh, dependent on what's actually yeah, yeah depending on what's actually happened. But yeah. most of the time, the well, if we back up, the game will have ended. Thing makes it a lot easier to back up because we can actually we can actually achieve a perfectly correct game state. Right. Yeah. Uh, with this backup, and most backups can't, which is why we have to have that consideration. Like the game state won't be right if we back up. So is it worse than it is now? And if you back up and go, well, the game state should be non-existent, and we can we can make that happen. Um, <laughs> then uh, then we, we get the least corrupt game state by backing up, which is a really weird way of looking at it. But it ends up uh, it ends up following the philosophy of backing up really soundly. I think. Okay. Did you guys have anything else to talk about on that one? Nah, I feel good about it. Well, let's let's uh, go ahead and move to the next email then from Daniel Jackson. Um, First name Action or middle name Action. Daniel Action Jackson. Yes. We're just gonna call him Action Jackson then. Okay, I, I'm fine I, with that. I'm fine with it. All right, so this is from Action Jackson. Uh, if he hates that, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> uh, it says I know if a player. Uh, gets a deck deckless problem, game loss before anything happens in a match. Game two is played with no sideboard, and game three is back to normal. What happens if the game losses between games? Can they re-sideboard? For example, uh, if Anna wins game one and she sideboards, sideboards knowing she'll be on the draw for game two, and then a mid-round check, there's an error on the list. The players are put in the game three. Can she switch her deck again since she now has the option to be on the play? Or am I wrong in assuming she gets the choice for that game? Um, this is a pretty uh, this is a good question with a pretty straightforward answer. Uh, the only reason that we say you can't sideboard when that, that deck deckless problem or tardiness game loss occurs is because no gameplay has taken place in the game yet. Mm-hmm. If there's a game loss penalty to be issued uh, at any time in a match that gameplay has actually occurred, Sideboarding can occur before the next game if if there is a next game, uh, and the player who received the game loss penalty will uh, will get to choose who plays or draws in that match, uh, whether or not they chose before. Uh, if both players receive simultaneous game losses that end the game, uh, those will offset from each other and they won't affect the match score. And whoever chose in the last game gets to choose again. Yeah, I actually had uh, a situation um, 
in Toronto on this a uh, couple weeks ago. And when uh, a player drew the opening hand, played a land, and then during their next draw, they got they drew a card and it was a sideboard card. And so this is game one. And so they call me over and I'm like, you know, oh, that's going to be a game loss, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I tell him, though, that he can sideboard. And I remember the player was actually kind of surprised to hear this because I think he, he has gotten so used to uh, those game game one game losses uh, that he was surprised to learn that I that he actually can sideboard in that situation. Even though they only played like a couple of cards each. Right. Yeah, that's... Um... The, the the downgrade should only apply there when you've got just the opening hand. Just the, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, they had played a couple of cards. It was like the first card he drew, so that was unfortunate. Yeah, that's always... Well, the problem... The, you, you always get people who are like, does it count? Does it not count? Uh, drawing a card is a game action, and since that's where the line is, whether or not that player's taking game actions, if it's their first card they've drawn, then unfortunately they... Yeah. Uh, they, that, that, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a there's a line because there has to be. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. So. Uh, that's a that's a that's a pretty power that that statement is a pretty powerful statement that applies to all sorts of things in judging. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, there's a line because there has to be. Um, and so then then where's go? Okay. Uh, so the next question that we've got is from Eric He, who asks, uh, "Do judge cast?" Uh, just a quick rules question. Uh, flashback and effects similar to it exile the spell after it resolves. Uh, so does that mean if a spell would move a card, uh, would move a card itself to another zone, so part like part of its effect, uh, would move it to another zone, like say the bottom of an owner's library as part of the resolution, would that not be exiled? Thanks for the help. So the answer to that question is um, flash flashback spells aren't limited to exiling when the spell resolves. Um, flashback basically says, hey, anytime, anytime this is going to leave the stack, um, exile it instead of letting it go anywhere else. So if it's still, if it's going to be exiled, like as part of either the effect or some other effect that's out there that's going to exile it, that thing's still going to happen. But if it's getting put on the top of the library or the bottom of the library or the graveyard, as spells normally go when they're resolving, it's going to go to exile instead if it's flashback. Um, so now that would be the question based on what he, what he asked. However, he linked two other cards in the question. Okay, uh, the cards were uh, Ever After and Jace Telepath Unbound. So the the Ever After, um, after it resolves or as part of it resolving, it puts the puts Ever After on the bottom of its owner's library. However, Jace Telepath Unbound, uh, its ability doesn't actually. So the flip card. I need to get the text on that. Um, the what? Jace what? was in Kamigawa. What's that? Jace was in Kamigawa. Oh, you're giving me that again. Look at you. I am. I am. I called. <laughs> I pulled some judges at the GP, and I was like, "It's a transform card." I can't let that injustice go on. You can't let that injustice go on. You are yeah. such a a thing. Such a magic player. You're yeah. such a. You're such a. So anyway. Um, now let me get upset and stall for time as I uh, Jace Telepath uh, Unbound. Ah, there we go. Okay, so his minus Jace's minus three ability because I clicked on the link you put in the show notes and it brought up a page of Jace Friends Prodigy and it wouldn't let oh, me. Yeah, it, did. it wouldn't let me. <laughs> it wouldn't let me click to all the right. other side to read the card text. All right. All right. Did, okay. Me. Okay. Right. Me. 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 Got it. <laughs> Let's get back on track. Jason Telepath Unbounds <laughs> minus three ability says you may cast target instant or sorcery from your graveyard this turn. Uh, if that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. Now, on the surface, that ability seems a lot like flashback because you get to cast a you get to cast a sorcery instant out of your graveyard. Yeah, it's basically uh, the same thing, right? It's right? it's, it's really yeah. similar, but. It's, it says if that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead, which isn't what Flashback does. Flashback exiles it if it's going anywhere. Uh, this right here is just if it's going to be put into your graveyard. So in the case of Ever After, since it's being put 
on uh, on the bottom of your library, um, Jesus Telepath Unbound doesn't exile it. So if you for for that particular point, if you uh, Snapcaster Mage and give um, Ever After flashback, uh, it's going to get exiled when when it's resolving. Uh, if you minus three uh, Jace's Jace Telepath Unbound, it's going to go on the bottom of your library. There you go. All right. So next question, also from Eric Key. I want to say Eric Key is our most prolific emailer. Really? Uh, no one actually. Yeah, it's it's always been him. I don't know if um, I don't know if I don't know if Callie's going to be happy to hear that. I know it, he still has it by about ten or fifteen. Uh, it's just he doesn't start with ahoy, so it, it didn't stand out. <laughs> so much. He, he has always emailed us. Also, his questions are answerable. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Um, so uh, he sent us actually another question. He sent us a few questions, but <clears throat> he said a quick question on who is the controller of an ability. Um, if is it the activator of the ability or the controller of the source of the ability? And actually, the next question is kind of around the same concept. But he says this came up uh, in a commander game where Milkshake controlled a squallmonger. So squallmonger says. Uh, Squallmonger deals one damage to each creature with flying, and each player, any player, may play. Oh, sorry, activate this ability. Uh, one of those old Mercadian Mass weird cards. So, <clears throat> uh, Milkshake has a Squallmonger. Back to Battlecat activates Squallmonger's ability, and then Bitty Kitty controls a Planeswalker. Uh, Eric said, "Why not a Johnny?" So why not? Um, so the question is, does Milkshake or Battlecat get to decide on whether or not to redirect the damage from Bitty Kitty to Ajani? So the question is basically, who controls this? Um, so the controller of an ability is the person who activated it, right? So that's all well and good, um, except for that actually doesn't answer this question. Because the question is, who gets to choose whether or not to redirect it to Ajani? And in that case... Uh, the controller of the source of the damage gets to choose. And so the source of the damage is Squallmonger. So whoever controls the Squallmonger actually gets to choose whether or not that's going to get redirected. Does that sound right? It's always the source of the... Uh, uh, or it's always the, the, the controller of the affected object that, that chooses the order, right? So Well, we're, all we're choosing is who gets to choose whether or not to redirect. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm not. sorry. I misread that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because the first part of the rule is if non-combat damage would be dealt to a player by a source controlled by an opponent, that opponent. So all we care about is who actually controls the source, and the source in this case is actually the Squallmonger. So... <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I misread the question. I thought it was asking a slightly different thing, but... Well, see, that's that's the thing, is is it's a little bit misleading, but yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, you said, yeah, so the next email is kind of similar, like you said, uh, it's not, um, it doesn't deal with exactly the same thing, I'll just jump right into it. This is from Callie Rainwater. Uh, it starts off, ahoy! Mm. As, as they tend as, to do, as, as they, they tend to do. Uh, if, if Nathan controls a knowledge pool and a possibility storm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good on you, Callie. <laughs> Keep asking these questions. You know what? You know what? Actually, so I I, pre- I appreciate the next part of this, which is parentheses. I, I oh yeah, that. you wrote that. <laughs> yeah, because I I don't we don't need. Sorry, I thought this. Yeah, part. I thought this was a text of the the email, and it's not. Okay, so anyway, knowledge pool and possibility storm. Uh, those are very complicated cards. Uh, they both trigger when you cast a spell, or whenever a player casts a spell. Yeah. Um. So if the opponent plays a spell, and I, I control Knowledge Pool Possibility Storm, and the opponent plays a spell, who gets to order the triggers? Uh, and the answer is the controller of Knowledge Pool and Possibility Storm gets to choose which order those triggers will resolve in. Mm-hmm. Even though the opponent casts a spell, the controller of the triggers is still the player that controls Knowledge Pool and Possibility Storm, and they still get to order those triggers how they like. Yeah, and, and and this comes up a bit too when we're deciding uh, who is responsible for remembering a trigger, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not that bad. Whoever controls the object controls the triggers. Yep. It doesn't matter what made the object trigger. If it's your thing and your thing has the trigger, then they're your triggers, and you need to remember them. 
All right. So I gave I gave you text on this one, Brian. Yeah, and you know what? I'm very very thankful because I actually answered this email wrong. You did. I did. <laughs> did you notice? Okay. So um Oh wait, did you? I did. Well, wait. Did did we Cuz you answered a different email wrong, but I wasn't going to call you out on it. Oh no, no, no. This one this one I uh uh let's see here. Uh Go ahead, go ahead and read it. Yes, I am going to read it. So um, what this, what the question is, this is from uh, Christopher Mayer. Uh, he asks, um, uh, hey, Judge Cast, uh, it's been a while uh, since I came up with a layers question, so we've had one. He says, Alfred controls a wandering fum- fum- fumarol, <laughs> fumarol, fum- fumarol, and a ruination god. Um, Alfred uh, animates the ruination, uh, animates... He says animates uh, animates the uh, the wandering fumarole and uses its ability uh, to switch its power and toughness. What's the end result? Uh, my friend believes it's a five one. I believe it's a four two. And so the actual answer to the question is it's going to be a four one. Um, the reason being is. Uh, Runeshi uh, God, yeah. I see it now. Right. I did not see it at all. Right. I didn't see it when it was just, uh, so he had, That's funny. Right. Right, right. So we'll, we'll tell everyone what the, what the boo-boo I made yeah. is. Um, so the reason why it's still a 4-1 is because, uh, Ruination Guide says other colorless creatures get plus one, plus O. Mm-hmm. And, um, and however, Wandering Fumarole isn't. Wandering Fumarole, when you activate its ability, it becomes a 1-4 blue and red elemental creature. So it's not even – when it's a land, it's colorless. But when it's a creature, it's blue and red. So it does not get the bonus. However – let's say that it were colorless for a second. Let's, yeah, let's play pretend for yeah. a second. Um, and the, the the advantageous thing about this and the lesson, lesson to learn is, hey, always read the card text. Um because sometimes you think you know what a card does. Because when when I was answering this email, I was like, "Oh yeah, wandering fumarol. That's that thing that becomes a one four one four creature with the with the power toughness switching." But if you'd actually read the card text, you would say, "Oh, blue and red. Oh, blue and red." Um, so anyway, let's assume that it just became a colorless creature. In this particular case, you have uh, even though you activate its ability to switch its power and toughness, um, you have another effect. And the way layers work is you would apply the power and toughness switching ability last when you're looking at all the continuous effects. So I have one continuous effect trying to give it plus one, plus O. I have another continuous effect trying to switch its power and toughness. I'm going to apply the plus one, plus O first. It occurs in a earlier layer. And I'm going to apply the power and toughness switching last. So I start with a, I'm starting with a one, four creature. I'm going to give it. Uh, I'm going to give it plus one plus zero, so it becomes a two four creature, and then I'm going to switch its power and toughness, making it a two four. And uh, yeah, but the more important part of this question is uh, re- read the friendly card. <laughs> yeah, and don't right. don't assume don't assume. And this this is actually a lesson <clears throat> from the from the Brian He question right uh, right above is, um, in, in, or sorry, Eric He, um, in the sense that. The question it led me down a path. Okay, it asked it asked a question, and then said, "I think it's this. My friend thinks it's this. Which way is it?" And the the answer is actually neither. Uh, but it but asking the question that way actually primed you to answer a certain way. And he, right. And that's actually yeah. that's actually a really good lesson about taking judge calls in general. Is uh, even with the time to think about it, Brian still made the mistake. It's very easy at a judge call when players ask a question and they're like, "Well." Is it this or this to to just jump in and give one of the answers without actually analyzing it? Right, because you go, oh, I see the rules question they're asking. Because you know right. he did. He asked a question about layers, and 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 yeah, oh yeah, I was primed to answer it a certain way, and in reality, that's not the not the way that needed to be answered at all. Right. All right. So I got an email from Callie. It, I'm sure it started off with a hoy, but that part <laughs> got cut out. Um, I like this question a lot, actually. I was wondering what about what. I was wondering about what's the appropriate amount of information to put on match slips when describing the infraction. So obviously this is that competitive REL when you have a match slip and you need to fill out the penalty on the back if you're giving one. 
she says, clearly we want to be as vague as possible since match slips are publicly available information, but since cards in play are also publicly available information, is it okay to reference specific cards on the battlefield if relevant to the infraction? For example, could a judge write, fetched with a blood moon in play? Uh, if not, what would be appropriate to write for that infraction? Well, what would be appropriate is fetched with a blood moon on the battlefield. <laughs> blood moon in play. How far? Uh, to, I, I want to <laughs> give a little bit of context for that since some uh, judges might be listening that aren't that aren't haven't worked at a, a Grand Prix or a large okay. competitive RE event, if that's okay, is that on we get the, the match slips that players turn in, if there's an infraction, uh, we write a description of infraction on the back so that the scorekeeper, who is often not the same judge that, that wrote the penalty, can enter that into the event reporter without having been there to know what it was. Um, so I think the answer is as much information as you can without giving away hidden information. Yeah. So, and that's why I want to talk about this. So I feel like, uh, so there, I feel like there was a time when maybe people were writing a little bit too much on these, these match slips. Right. And so the message would start to go out there and it'd be like, Hey, you shouldn't write card names on the match slip. You know, other player can read that. Hold on, Brian, I'm going to get, okay. And I feel like now we've gone too far in the other direction and people didn't actually understand the point of that initial message, um, which was you can't write cards that both players don't already know are there on the match slip, right? You can't. Right. Um, this player forgot player. to list four Jaces. Yeah, right. thank you. <laughs> exactly. So mostly the not writing the card name applies to deck deckless problem, right? Um, yep. It doesn't generally apply to anything that can happen in a game because uh, usually that's going to be public information. Um, do yeah, that's that's really all it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, the actually, only other thing is I, like they drew a card into their hand, and well, now you reveal the hand as part of the fix. So. That exactly. That's the point. Um, so yeah, I I feel like we've gone too far in the wrong direction <laughs> here. It's perfectly fine to write card names on the match slip if both players already knew they had that card. You know, that's not a problem at all. And, and, uh, and card names or otherwise, I see a lot of uh, match slips that are actually just too vague in general. They'll say things yeah. like, um, you know, uh, improperly resolved spell. Yeah, because I think people have become scared to write card names on there. Right. And, and that's yeah. just improperly resolved spell is like, <laughs> what is that? Like, it doesn't it doesn't mean it, like yeah. I can actually yeah. be, a, you know. <clears throat> Any infraction. Looking at extra cards, uh, he looked at an extra card. <laughs> right. Okay, thanks. Well, sure. Thanks. But but here's here's the thing. Looking at extra cards. Let's let's just let's talk about that for just a, a real quick example. Okay. There's a big difference between I went to draw one card and I picked up two, versus mm-hmm. I'm shuffling my opponent's deck and I drop a card. Right. Those are those are two vastly different things. And so you want to be able to dis- de- delineate between which one, you know, which is which, uh, because these things do go into a database and they are potentially used for other other investigations and looking for trends and stuff like that. So be be specific, or, or yeah. be more specific. I mean, you're you're not writing a novel, you know. Right. If you if you start off by saying. Uh, your penalty was at the beginning of game two while shuffling his opponent's presented deck after three riffle shuffles, you know, during during the third mash shuffle, a ever after, you know, dropped out. No, no one cares about that <laughs> level of detail. And the scorekeeper is probably going to tell the head judge, hey, fix your boy. I was going to ask, um, just like, what if you really hate the scorekeeper, though? Then is it OK? Uh... I think I have actually written uh, some trolley comments on the back of match lives for particular scorekeepers. I like that. You got to remember the players can see it. So before uh, judges get a little crazy. I, I have uh, I have written um, for looking at extra cards. I have written the description of uh, dead courser. Go, go, ghost courser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. Right. Looking yeah, at extra cards. Looking at extra dead. cards, ghost courser. It, that's all the information you need. Right. I know exactly what happened. Um, yep. 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 Okay. I've, uh, speaking of trolling scorekeepers, um, quick aside, <laughs> uh, this last weekend I was at uh, Grand Prix New York, which was in the Secaucus, New Jersey. And uh, there, <laughs> while we were there, uh, a player comes up to me and he goes, so I don't know what to do with this. And in his hand, he's got two halves of his match slip. Um uh, 
because and I'm like, well, what happened? He goes, well, I stood up too fast and cut on my jacket and I tore it in half. Huh. I go, oh, okay. So I confirm the results. And, uh, and I, I tried to turn and give it to another judge and be like, oh, okay, go ahead and take this up to the scorekeeper. And they, they, they were just like, don't put that evil on me. And uh, <laughs> so I took it up. <laughs> And the scorekeeper wasn't there, so I just set it on the keyboard of his laptop and left. Hmm. There is there is a a reputation that that scorekeepers have of being, I'll say, persnickety. I love that word. Um, at, at the at the larger events, mm-hmm. uh, and depending on which ones you get, sometimes that's completely uh, com- yeah, that's they they earned that reputation. And in other cases, no, they didn't. They they they're they're nice people. So anyway, be nice to your scorekeeper. They have a hard job. Next, uh, is that? Oh, that's Jess. Indeed. So the next question is from Jimmy Scott. This question is about an interaction with Jace Telepath Unbound and his second ability. If it targets a treasure cruise, am I allowed to delve or am I required to pay the full seven blue mass uh, casting cost? This is a good question. I think this question goes straight back to the one that Brian answered earlier in that it's this, his ability is a lot like flashback, but it's not flashback. Uh, flashback says you can pay it for this flashback cost and things like Snapcaster Mage give the thing a flashback cost of whatever its mana cost is. Um, so if you were to Snapcaster a Treasure Cruise, for example, you would have to pay 7 U to uh, to cast it. But in this case, since you can cast it from your graveyard, you, you, you can delve those cards away because you are actually casting the card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all the alternative costs can also apply. That's the other one Brian got wrong. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. Oh, poor Brian. <laughs> so, I mean, what I'm going to need you to do, Brian, is I'm going to need you to get a cheese grater out and start what? scraping the rust off. Okay. <laughs> oh. Harsh. All right. All right. So this next question uh, is from Daniel O'Connor. Uh, when we go to the cleanup step, what comes first? Discard, damage, or end of turn effects wearing off. Uh, he says, I'm thinking about discarding madness cards. Uh, uh, thinking about discarding madness cards to hand size, due to hand size. Thank you, CJ. You're welcome. Due, due to hand size, uh, and if I can fiery temper creatures that have been marked with damage to finish them off. Um, so basically the way this works is... Uh, when it comes time to 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 the cleanup, you're going to discard first. Okay, so you're going to discard or you're going to exile your your fiery temper. Um, then, now nothing has happened yet. You've just exiled it. Okay. Then damage and end of end of turn effects end. Okay. Then after that's happened, then the game says, okay, well, there's a trigger waiting to go on the stack. And that trigger is if you exile, you know, when you exile a card this way, you may cast it. Um, so you can then, you know, cast your, your fiery temper, but damage has already worn off, uh, creatures. So you're not going to be able to like, you know, kill a four, four with one damage on it. Um, so, yeah. So then you get to decide whether or not you're going to cast it or just, uh, put in straight up, put it in your graveyard. All right. Yep. Cool. So it's funny you can kind of see us get to the tail end of um, Magic Origins questions and now move into uh, Innistrad questions because that's how old these emails are. Or the tail end of just I guess standard questions at that time. All right. Next one's from Bobby Diger. So uh, he says that about twenty minutes into the uh, Shadows Over Innistrad release notes episode. It was said that if one Essence Fluxes, so that's a card that uh, flickers a creature, uh, Essence Flux is a Skin Shedder, it comes back as Skin Invasion. So Skin Invasion was that card that's an aura, and when the uh, enchanted creature dies, you return it to the battlefield transformed as uh, Skin Shedder. Excuse me. So, okay, so in the episode we said that if you uh, flicker a Skin Shedder, it'll come back as a Skin Invasion. But if there's no permanence it can enchant, it just stays where it is. So it stays in exile. 
Uh, I thought it would come back to the battlefield and then be put into the graveyard immediately by state-based actions. Which is correct and why? So, which is correct is the one we said. We're always correct, right? Well, me and Jess are. Brian's like 0 for 2 right now. Oh. So, oh, oh, so mean. Well, as we know, if I'm wrong, I just edit it out. So, yes. <laughs> so, when you are putting an aura onto the battlefield without casting it, it enters the battlefield attached to something that is, um, it enters the battlefield attached to anything that it can legally be attached to. That's how it enters the battlefield. It doesn't target, it doesn't, um, it doesn't enter and then attach to something. I think the so second one is what people normally think happens, that it enters and then you choose something. And then you choose something, yeah. It enters attached to something. So if there is nothing that it can be attached to, um, if there's nothing that it can be physically attached to, then it actually is just going to stay where it is. And so there's a rule that actually says this. Uh, it says if an R is entering the battlefield and there is no legal object or player for it to enchant, the R remains in its current zone. Unless that zone is a stack. <laughs> Glad we have that little that little rider there. Um, so what we said is correct. It actually, if there's nothing it can actually attach to, in this case a creature, uh, then it's going to stay right where it is. Okay, before we get into our next email, I want to jump back for one second. Um, I said something earlier that uh, wasn't quite correct. Uh, I said that if you gave a spell flashback, you wouldn't be able to delve with it. Uh, that actually isn't correct. Brian poked me about it and said, hey, I'm not I'm not sure that, that you were right when you were doing that one where you made fun of me for being wrong. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he was correct. Uh, you 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 uh, I, I was mistaken about that. So when you when you cast a spell with flashback, if it has delve, you can delve cards with it. Uh, what I was uh uh, what I was because that is a cost reducing effect. What I was confusing it with was things like force of will, where you can't pay alternative costs instead because you're already paying an alternative cost for flashback. Yeah, uh, so pretty weird. yeah, it's it's a it's a the difference that I for some reason blanked on as we were going over it. So uh, my uh, my my comment about cheese graters is coming back to bite me. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Smuggity smug smug. <laughs> hey, I still haven't been wrong. What? There, there was an episode I mean, where you were wrong, but you cut it out, dude. That was there was a legitimate reason behind that. Because uh, you, you were wrong. Sneak in. You left. You cut yours out, and mine that I made two minutes later, you left in. Yeah, but there was a reason. Do we even remember what episode that was? No. Okay. No. Anyway, that happened. All right. So uh, our next email, uh, Trey Taylor writes in, if you cast Altered Ego, uh, and Altered Ego says, it's a 0-0 creature that says you may have Altered Ego enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it enters with uh, X additional plus one plus one counters on it, and it has an X in its cost. Two copies, Skyrider Elf or Woodland Wanderer, which both have Converge, using different types of mana, would you get the plus one plus one counters from the Converge ability? Uh, this is a really good question, and the answer is yes. Because when you apply replacement effects that 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 uh, copy something, those are always applied before replacement effects that change how it enters the battlefield, which is the the the, the, the it enters with an additional X plus one plus one counter, yeah. which is why it has the exception. It enters as a copy except with this other thing. So in this case, you're going to get the bonus of both the converge and the plus one plus one counters. It, 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 they used to not say that, but they added the word additional plus one plus one counter. Like they were added the word additional to make it clear that that's what, what happens also. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this, this, uh, I believe this was the one that was added when Essence of the Wild was printed. Silence. It, Essence uh, of the Wild. It's the one that makes that, a copy, is, it makes everything enter as a copy of itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they had to add a rule just to make the card work the way they wanted it to. They mm -hmm. that made rules nerds so happy that you, suddenly there got was a layer system for uh, replacement effects. effects. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Except, the, I mean, it's not choosing an order they apply in; it's actually choosing just which one applies next, and then you choose again and choose again and choose again. Yeah. So it's uh, an order of operations. There's like tiers. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they got so happy. Or like layers, even one might describe the the layers of replacement effects. Yes, because I said layers, and then Brian's like, nah, it's like tears. 
<laughs> just I mean, it's, it's it's because layers have is a charged word that has meaning. I know, so it's, it's the layers of replacement effects. Yeah, we're just going to call it the layers and tears, CJ. I, I think that's a really good idea. Thanks. Layers and tears. Layers <laughs> and tears. Fine. Replacement effect tears. <laughs> the, the tears of replacement effects. The, the craziest thing about that is, whereas layers, it's uh, copy control text type. For replacement effects, it's control copy. copy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and there's only one card that changes control. Thanks, gather specimens. Yeah, I know. Right? I love gather specimens. It's yeah. such a fun card. Uh, All right, Brian, go ahead okay. for another Daniel email. I don't know if you guys have been keeping track, but I think this is the fourth email from a Daniel. Oh, and the next email is from a Daniel specific. also. Yes, it is. This is a okay. Daniel full episode. Yes. All right. Um, so this question is from Daniel O'Connor. He goes, so I normally judge F&M uh, and play in Comparel events. So let's say I'm at an event. And the judge comes over to the table, does an investigation, gives the fix and a ruling. Then let's say I know for a fact that the ruling is wrong because I listened to Judge Cast and the fix was changed in the last IPG. (laughs) (laughs) It's an HCE question, isn't it? Um, Is it within my rights as a player to have the responding judge look up the fix in the IPG or should I make an appeal? If I make an appeal and the head judge issues the same fix, can I have him look it up in the in in the updated IPG? So this is this is a question. This is a question that comes up. So judge comes to the table, gives a ruling. You, I'm not going to say you know the answer is wrong. I'm going to say you strongly believe that the answer is wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and presumably the judge gave their ruling because they also strongly believe that they're correct. Um, because I would really hope that they're not giving a ruling where it's like, ah, I think that it's kind of like this. Um, so as long as as long as you're being respectful, so it comes over, the judge gives you a ruling that you, if it's a floor judge, and the the judge gives you a ruling that you don't you don't like, uh, a, a respectful, you know, are you sure? Yes, that's your final ruling. Okay, I'd like to appeal. Okay, and then they go and get the head judge. Everything at this point has been has been polite and cordial. Now you get the head judge. They give the same ruling. You're positive that they're wrong, or maybe the head judge was the first judge that came to the table, and you you ask, you know, are you sure? I heard that it changed recently. Would you mind confirming some something along those those lines? And you can even say, um, you know, I heard that the the most recent IPG changed to this particular interaction. And again, the key is you don't want to be demanding. You don't want to be accusatory because, um, you know, people, people, people are human. And when you start coming at someone with an accusatory, uh, 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 demanding confrontational kind of attitude, then they're going to become confrontation. They're going to dig in their heels and become confrontational back. That's normal. Just, just human interaction. Uh, um, so you, if you're, if you're really looking to get the best ruling, you, you don't want to do anything that's going to incentivize, uh, 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 or create a situation in the, in the judge where they're going to just be like, no, you do what I say, you know, that kind of thing. Um, now the question then is, can I, can I appeal to the IPG? Um, no, <laughs> Uh, you can't. Uh, there, there's, there's no right to appeal past the head judge. Um, there actually isn't really a, the, the the right to appeal is really, you know, the right to have your case heard by the most authoritative source at that event, and the most authoritative source at that event is the head judge. They are empowered. Uh, they have the power and the authority to to be wrong. Really is is kind of the way to say it. That's one of the reasons why we do this show is is so that people uh, will be less wrong. You know, they they have the information to know so that when these problems occur, uh, to to teach them so that they they will instead of having the power and authority to be wrong, they're right, and their power and authority comes from from being right. Um, so you can ask. Uh, you can interact with them and say, Hey, I, I heard that this, and you can, as long as you're polite and cordial, you know, that judge might very well have a light bulb moment ago. Like, ah, ah, you know, you're right. It did change this. Let's go ahead. And the ruling is going to be this thing right here. But again, the key is no, you don't have a right to a- appeal to the IPG. You have the right to, you you can appeal to the head judge and their word is, is final. Um, and then 
please be respectful. Don't be condescending or anything like that, because that if your goal is to get the correct ruling, being a jerk about it, it doesn't can only hurt you. It can't help you. So, Brian, let me let me flip the question on you a little okay. bit. Uh, so let's say the judge makes the ruling. I know it's wrong because I listened to judge cast. Do I have any obligation to tell the judge or well, appeal? Because it's, it's his his boo boos in my air. Yeah, let's say right. Like he's he's giving your opponent a game loss for drawing extra cards or something. Oh, that's DQ City. Get on out of there. You know that. No, that's mm. not. No, no. Yeah. Um. So so. It's it is the judge's responsibility. It's the it's the judges and the head judges' responsibility to be correct, even though they have, like I said, they have the power and authority to be wrong. They have the responsibility to be correct. Okay, and if the head judge gives you this is my ruling, or even if the floor judge gives you their ruling and you know that it's wrong, uh, you don't you don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything because in in reality, you start getting into a question of well. Well, you think you're right, and they think they're right. What? I mean, you you could be wrong in your certainty that uh, that you're correct. So you're not doing anything wrong by doing what the head uh, doing what the judge says to do. All right. The, the exception that I'm gonna, I guess I'll clarify where the judge is like, oh, you can totally cheat. <laughs> well, I mean, no. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right, one more email from from A. Daniel. This is a different Daniel. Uh, he says he's studying to take his L1, and after probably years of saying I was going to, uh, going to and came across the most shocking thing so far in the IPG. Uh, oh, well, one reminder is you do not... Oh, this is in the MTR, actually, what he quotes. But just a reminder to people studying to L1, the IPG is not on there, and you don't need to study the IPG prior to becoming level 1. <clears throat> you don't so, even need to study it after you become level 1. You don't know, uh, but if it's something you're interested in, I, I personally I recommend don't even touch it before you actually become level one because I, I feel like it's just going to confuse you. Yeah. Anyway, I think there's a certain kind of player that that it that it would benefit. Um, you know, if you're already a a magic player playing at competitive events regularly, you're going to have some familiarity with it. Uh, so That's true. so uh, in that case, understanding the difference between in any case, reading up on it to understand why things are done this way at one tournament and not at another is actually not the end of the world. Uh, yeah, but, but but you do have a tendency to, if you start with the IPG, you have a tendency to try and retrofit those yep. solutions into regular. Mm-hmm. So if if you haven't read the jar, eh, don't don't. The yeah, like one, one I see a lot is, uh, oh, they drew an extra card. Well, we're going to have them sh- reveal their hand. No, or regular, or even, <laughs> or or oh, his his uh, he's missing some cards from his deck. That's a game loss, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I hate to hear that. Okay, but the quote that Daniel actually put in here is actually from the MTR. So, um, oh wait, I'm not sure if this is the MTR or the IPG, but I'll just read it. Visual modifications to cards, including brief text that provide minor strategic information or hints, are acceptable and not considered notes. Detailed instructions or complex strategic advice may not be written on cards. The head judge is the final arbiter on what cards and notes are acceptable for a tournament. Uh, And then he goes on to say, I previously believed that any strategic notes on the card would be obviously outside assistant. I'm left unsatisfied with how vague the line is between the two. Can you provide any clarification on when it would actually be acceptable to have minor strategic information on the card? So I like Brian actually put a couple of examples in his uh, email response, and I like them a lot. So one is, um, you know, you have a creature with haste and you just write, play me before attackers, right? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 minor strategic information. Like, uh, I think I think examples that are more likely to happen are are going to be the other. uh, Go ahead. The the other example is an artwork of a tutor that's that's modified to show you what you typically tutor for. Yes, that kind of. I was just going to say playing like a Stoneforge Mystic that says Batter Skull on it, for example, or depiction of Batter Skull on it. Um, And this this has come into play with. uh, you know, if you, a dark confidant where you, it's altered to have the dark confidant spinning a sensei's divining top, right? These cards go well together. I've seen I've seen trinket mages uh, altered to to have like whatever one mana artifact they're going to go looking for, mm-hmm. or or snapcaster mages that are altered to look like the spell you intend to flashback. 
<laughs> right. Um, you know, so there are a lot of a lot of things where that that kind of thing would be minor strategic information, like uh, stuff where it's relatively obvious uh, and not not the kind of thing that um, not, not the kind of thing you're worried about the player not knowing in their own deck. Uh, obviously, uh, you don't want things like um, you don't want somebody writing a novel on their card. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, really, that's in there for, for, your, for snapcaster, your snapcaster has a flowchart on it. Right. Yeah. Or <laughs> sideboard me if they're playing green, white, blue, green, you know, whatever. yeah, that's, that's not so much. And even some of the things, um, you know, this really isn't about text or notes, to be honest with you. This is mostly about those art things that we were talking about where somebody mm-hmm. can be like, well, this tells me these two cards go well together. So therefore, isn't that outside assistance? Right. So, yeah, not not really. No, like if I if I have a Snapcaster Mage that is throwing a lightning bolt, okay, because I Snapcaster my lightning bolt all the time, I would never consider that outside assistance. But there are judges that might consider it that, and that's why this is in there. Yeah. Now, now to to caveat that, okay, if a spectator leans over and says. Dude, you should totally snapcaster your lightning bolt. Okay, that is outside assistance. Yeah. Okay. That's literally from the outside. Right. It is. It is not only from the outside, but they're they're saying that be, probably because it's got strategic uh, value right then and there. You know, it's like mm-hmm. people aren't going to say you should totally snapcaster your lightning bolt when you don't have a lightning bolt in your graveyard or there isn't a target or anything like that. So it's it it definitely changes. Yes, it is the same information, uh, but it's the it's the relevance of the information. Okay. All right. I think that's good information. Yeah. So just take us out on a high note. Okay. This email. <laughs> <laughs> well, this we 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 uh, we referenced this a little earlier. Uh, we got an email. This isn't actually a question. It's just pointing something out. Um, uh, from Robert. Robert said he's been listening to old episodes and. Uh, he he said on episode 48, we actually started by saying I hadn't realized what a great mind lurked, lurked amongst you, which had neither sounds both positive and negative simultaneously. <laughs> well, you know, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. It is. Yes, I, I do. Yeah. Um, so on episode 48, which is the one that's 98 episodes ago, uh, it was the Chernda Ravnica release notes uh, starting at, at roughly 54, 55 minutes in. Uh, Jess casually predicts that in two years' time, we'd be going back to Zendikar. There will be a sixth color, which isn't really a sixth color. It will just be casting creatures that require colorless mana. Mind blown. Nicely done. I had to go back and check and like listen to it to see what was actually said. Uh, and yeah, that's basically what was actually said. So, um, so we'll, uh, we'll splice it in like right now and then... We'll totally act like we just listened to it. So, hold on. Well, I'll give it two years when we go back to Zendikar. It's no, the, the return to... It's just going to be this big pile of annihilated, you know... <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be just like three Eldrazi just sitting on like a, a mountain, like a hollowed-out mountain, just with their, their hands, their head in their hands. We destroyed everything. Nothing left. You know, yeah, well, so no, we'll have like we'll have a six color, but it won't really be a six color. We'll just have guys that like part of their mana cost must be paid with colorless mana. Okay. <laughs> Weird. Oh, that was great. Oh yeah. yeah so, wow. So <laughs> wow, he nailed it, huh? <laughs> Basically, Absolutely. right. And, and the reason I, I I said that, um, the reason I said that is because I, I had actually read this mechanic. I didn't invent this mechanic, so nothing there. Um, no, you saw it on a hurt, Facebook yes. forum or Facebook, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, I saw it. In a, it was in a Facebook chat. Somebody sent it to me. <laughs> uh, I saw some 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 cards, um, and that's how it got out on a judge cast. But no, I'm I'm kidding. Um, so it's not unknown for Wizards of the Coast uh, R and D to take ideas from their great designer search and incorporate them into later sets. And the idea of colorless mana as a sixth color um, had already been used years ago, and I think Great Designer Search Two uh, as a mechanic. And then that developer, or sorry, that designer, uh, I don't think he won. I could be mistaken. No, um, he didn't. I didn't, but yeah, I didn't really follow it very closely. 
He was on JudgeCast. Oh, it was Laux? That was oh, Laux. Was it? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you it weren't was, on that uh, episode. Mysterious. No, I wasn't on that episode. It was... Mysterious. It was, so that episode, if I remember correctly, is the one that's called on this episode, Skip Just Dunks. And if you Google... No, me, that's the episode. That's the replacement effects. That's the, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the replacement the, uh, effects. JudgeCast is like a very Lauxy episode. It is. Okay. Lauxiest episode. Yeah. I remember yeah. these things. So if you if you Google Just Dunks, not that I do that on a regular basis, but if you Google Just Dunks, uh, the first Just Dunks right now, yeah, the the first JudgeCast episode that you will find is the one titled on this episode. Skip Just Dunks. Yeah, and I that is funny to me. Uh, but anyway, so I I the reason I said that is he was talking about Zendikar. I was like, no, nah, it'll be the six color meta, blah blah blah, because I figured at some point they were going to use that because it was a good way of incorporating six color, and I figured that Zendikar would be the right place to do it. Uh, because you have these colorless creatures. Uh, really, it was just, I just saw these awesome pieces that fit together the same way that apparently Watsi did. I, I don't, I'm not any kind of psychic or anything, but it is a pretty cool thing to go back and say, wow, I, I didn't, I didn't even remember having that conversation and it was right on. Um, I, I do, so I Googled just donks, few, few, few things. Uh, the <laughs> third picture, the third picture <laughs> CJ. that shows is CJ Schrader. <laughs> And the seventh picture is Eric Levine with an owl on his shoulder. <laughs> I think Eric Levine boombox is in there somewhere too. Uh, maybe it's it's further down, but uh, but yeah, just uh, just casual casual owl on the shoulder with Eric Levine looking sleepy. <laughs> when I being just dunks, I just get people dunking in basketball. Yeah, do so you know how long it took? So, so my my name is a verb. So like, like it's it's like my online presence is very very like, um, t- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dampened Basketball by the oriented? fact it's, it's it's dampened by the fact that my name is a verb. It's hard to find stuff with my name. Everybody's just like somebody named Jess dunking a basketball. Oh oh hey, when I Yahoo search Jess dunks, <laughs> I get I get I get video results of Jessica Holmes in a dunk tank. Oh okay good. All right, there you go. There you go. All right, I think that means this episode's over. <laughs> so uh, we don't have any news that I think we can share, but we will next episode. Um, the uh, Obviously, no emails because we just did them. I, can't, I look forward to doing emails again in about another eight months. <laughs> Seems to be it. <laughs> uh, but like I said, we're responding to the emails a lot better, so if you want to send us an email, you can at judgecast.gmail.com or you can... Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. Um, someone emailed us and they were like, when are you guys going to do another email episodes? I really like those. So here's for you, buddy. Yeah. We'd actually decided to do it before you emailed us. But but we're going to say that we did it because... Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going to cut that out. We did it exactly for you and no other reason. All right, guys. Anything else to add? Nope. Nope. I will be in. Oh, I'll be in uh, Indianapolis this weekend. If anybody wants to say hi, cool. Uh, and then the weekend after that, I'll be in L.A. So, where are you? What are you guys up to? I know that CJ's going to be in Charlotte. Going, yeah, you're not going to Charlotte. Then? I'm not going to Charlotte because I'm I'm on L.A. I didn't know you were. I didn't know anything important was happening there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I am this this time of year is uh, the 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 kid has. Uh, the kid. The kid. I was going to say the boy. Like, you know how Homer Simpson always refers oh, yeah, to yeah. Bart as the boy? The boy. I was, I, yeah, so I started to say the boy, but then I realized that, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's, it's Lauren. It wouldn't be, people would be confused. So yep, it came just, out. You just discovered his child was a daughter. Yeah, I just discovered uh, that my child was a, was a girl. Um, so uh, uh, it's, she's got plays and concerts and all that kind of stuff uh, until June. So I, my weekends are pretty much uh, spent uh, uh, figuring out how to put stage makeup on a 10-year-old girl. Because apparently it's, it's in do buns and frou-frou things on hair and stuff like that. So I don't have anything planned. All right. So the RPTQ. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? Until then, my name's Cedar Trader. I keep it fair. I'm just dunks. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlin. I keep it rusty. <laughs> <laughs>
forgot how to start the show. <laughs> I'm joined. Uh, my name is hundred times. My name is CJ Schrader, and I'm 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 today with me as always is yeah, CJ Schrader and CJ Schrader. Yeah. Oh wait, I got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, level, level two from New Smyrna, Georgia. Oh wait, no Smyrna, Smyrna, Georgia. Smyrna, Smyrnoff. Smyrna, Smyrna, Smyrna. The Jonquil City. All <laughs> okay, right, let's try that again. Try One that again. One more time. 